Today is our eighth installment of the parables of Jesus. We started this series looking at the what and the why, why Jesus told them. Then Jesus began his, his lessons with the beginning of the kingdom of God, telling, this, telling the disciples how the, the work uh, of taking his kingdom out to the whole world would go. The parable of the sower told us that most people will not receive it. The conditions of their heart uh, won't accept it for different reasons. Uh, A shallow faith or or worldly concerns or just a refusal to to believe or submit to it. The parable of the weeds tells us the enemy will actively try to undermine it. There will be fakes among us. The, the mustard seed, despite how small it, it is when it begins, it will grow bigger than imagined. The leaven, that happens as, as we spread and, and affect the whole world around us. The, the hidden treasure and the, the pearl of great price shows how valuable the kingdom is to those who find it, whether they're looking for it or not. Last week we looked at the parable of the net, which gives us a glimpse into the the kingdom at the end of the age. When Jesus returns, there will be a separating of the the evil and the righteous. The righteous will will spend eternity in glory, and all else will be cast into eternal damnation in the fiery furnace. A warning to enter the kingdom while you still can, because you're either in or you're out. Because of the seriousness of that warning, I thought the next best thing for us to look at is the search for the lost. The search for the lost. The end will come, and it will be final. So we need to bring them in while we still can, before it's too late. We must be concerned about seeking the lost. Jesus was, and it was the reason that he came. Today we will look at the parable of the lost sheep in Luke chapter 15, and we'll look at verses 1 through 7. So let's read uh, Luke chapter 15, 1 through 7. Now, all the t- now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, If he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." The parable of the lost sheep is um, perhaps one of the best known and, and recognizable of all of Jesus' parables. Artists, is, artists have depicted this, um, this parable in many ways over the years, images that most of us uh, think of when we hear this parable. Oh, wrong way. Let's see. Nope. Okay. Technical difficulties. Hold on. Oops. Here. It's almost there. Oh, 
There. Now it's working. Technology is great when it works, isn't it? <clears throat> See, this is the, the image that uh, most of us have when we think of this parable, the parable of the, the lost sheep. It's beautiful scenery, gentle brook flowing in the background, beautiful sunny sky, a fluffy white lamb, a gentle smiling shepherd as he, as he tenderly holds that cute little lamb. That's kind of the image that we have when we think of this parable. But there's another image that I believe is actually a little more realistic. This one depicts a darker scene of impending doom. A terrifying scene is as a lamb clings to a small branch over a deep abyss. The fear in the eyes of the lamb. The vultures watch and circle, just waiting, just waiting for that lamb to fall, waiting so that they can devour it. The fearless shepherd reaching down to rescue it from certain death. His incredible power and strength on full display. A firm grip of his left hand as he reaches down with his mighty right hand. Now, neither scene is necessarily wrong better or worse than the other. The, the first emphasizes the beauty and the love of seeking, seeking and saving the lost. But the other shows the seriousness, seriousness and the rescue that is needed. The point of the parable is obvious. It's a simple point, really. Jesus is seeking the lost. That's it. Good day. That's it. Jesus is seeking the lost. Yet looking closer, the parable hits home in a, in a few unexpected ways. And that's what I'd like for us to kind of look at and think about this morning. Specifically, what does this parable say about the nature of God? What does it say about us? And what does it say about our relationship with each other? So first, what does this parable say about us? There are two things for us to consider about ourselves. And the first thing is that we are all, we are all like sheep. Dozens of times in the Bible, the people of God are referred to as sheep. A few of the more notable passages that come to mind are the 23rd Psalm, the, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Most of us are familiar with that one. That means that we are sheep. If he is our shepherd, then, then we're sheep. John chapter 10, 1 through 18, Jesus is the good shepherd and, and his sheep know his voice and they follow him. Ezekiel 34, 31, you are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people and I am your God. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. There's several other examples of, of us being referred to as sheep. But why sheep? I mean, sheep are, are nice and cute and all, but, but why sheep? <clears throat> I mean, why not a bull? Why doesn't he refer to us as a bull? I mean, big and strong and powerful. Or an eagle. Proud and majestic as we, as we soar above everything. 
or, or golden retrievers. Loyal and obedient. Well, after that first one, I think maybe I know why. There are plenty of good reasons why we're called sheep in the Bible. And one of them is because of the nature of sheep. By nature, sheep have some strikes against them. First, sheep are dumb. I'm sorry, but sheep are dumb. Sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. When sheep are thirsty, they will stop at a dirty puddle right in front of them instead of going to the clean water that might be 20 feet ahead. Sadly, they're content with filth so long as it satisfies for the moment. And they will stink and never even know it. They lack discernment, judgment, and, and they don't know what's good for them. We're not much different. Many times we see a dirty puddle, sin, in front of us, and we go straight for it. Because we think that's all there is in life. We don't see the good, fresh water that's 20 feet ahead. We think we're finding satisfaction when in reality we're just being poisoned and we stink. And then, so sheep are dumb and sheep are directionalists. Sheep wander. Sheep wander. They graze with their heads down and they pay no attention. They just munch away as they, as they wander around the pasture. And when they finally look up, they're far away from the rest of the fold. They'll often have a hard time finding their way back. They have no sense of direction. They're, they're easily led astray. They're easily distracted. Same with those that are not with the Lord. Simply no sense of spiritual direction in their lives. They wander and they cannot find their way back to the Lord by themselves. And then sheep are defenseless. Lions and bears have teeth and claws and bulls have horns. Snakes have fangs. Eagles have sharp beaks and, and talons. But not sheep. They have absolutely no means of protecting themselves from danger. If they're attacked, they're, they're simply helpless. As a matter of fact, if, if, sheep, if sheep fall over and they roll over onto their backs, they'll often get stuck there and they'll just flail around, unable to turn themselves over. It's true. They'll just flail around trying to get themselves off their back. If they're left like that, they can die. They're defenseless. The predator often watches from a distance, watching, waiting, waiting until they're alone. Wait for them to wander away from the rest. When they're alone, that's, that's when the predator, that's when the enemy is there. There's no way anyone can protect themselves from the devil's attacks. We need someone 
else to protect us. Even the armor of God Christians wear. Even the armor of God that Christians put on is, is not our own. What is it called? It's called the armor of God. It's His armor that we put on. We are defenseless without it. Sheep are dumb. They're directionless and they're defenseless. By their very nature, sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to keep them from doing dumb stuff, from wandering away, to protect them. So I suppose it makes sense why people are described as sheep. And that's why Jesus had compassion on us. Matthew 9.36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So that explains why we are all like sheep. This parable also reveals something else about us. We see that in verses 1 through 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. People judge. People judge. Part of the reason Jesus told this parable was because of the judgmental hearts of the religious that were there. The ones that were supposed to be his representatives were unhappy. Unhappy not only to see the ones that were being drawn to Jesus, but that he accepted them. I mean, it's bad enough that these, these tax collectors, these sinners, were drawn to Jesus and wanted to follow and come along, but, but he accepted them too. So he tried to remind them of what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to be shepherding these people. That's why he said, what man of you have a hunt, having a hundred sheep? What man of you, Pharisees, my representatives, having a hundred sheep, a hundred, that was the average size of a flock that a shepherd would have at that time. It's also part of the, part of the reason why I don't like these big megachurches where you have thousands of people there. How is a shepherd able to watch over all of those sheep? But that's another, another day, another question. Now they would have probably been offended. They would have been offended at the idea of being a shepherd when Jesus said, what man of you being a shepherd having these sheep. See, shepherds at, at that time were, were some of the lowest on the so social scale. But they had a very important job to watch over the sheep. They often didn't own their own sheep. They were hired hands. And they would watch over the sheep that others would entrust to them. They would have to stay out overnight, out into the back country. They never slept in their own beds sleeping underneath a bush, these dirty, dumb sheep. So they had these sheep that were entrusted to them. They were responsible for them. And they had to count them each day. 
And they had to give an account to the owner if one came up missing or, or one was, was injured. They were held responsible. So, so when Jesus told this parable, he thought, well, maybe, maybe they'll recognize the responsibility that they're shirking here. It's my representatives. And if not, if not, at least maybe it would appeal to their, their greed because sheep were valuable. So to, to lose one would be costly. But they didn't see the loss in front of them as being valuable. They're sinners and tax collectors. These people aren't worth going out to save. How much do we judge people and whether they are worth our time? I told you last week the story of William Colgate, his church in the middle of that evangelistic crusade. <clears throat> how they, they reacted less than joyfully when the prostitute came forward and confessed her sin and, and asked for forgiveness and salvation and then asked for membership. She wasn't the type of people they wanted God to save. Or Jack Hiles and his bus ministry, that was just a little bit messier than people wanted to get involved in. Jesus confronted these Pharisees and their uncaring judgment for the lost. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Unfortunately, the Pharisees' answer, like many others' answer, is not me. Not me. That's, that's not the way we think. We make judgments on whether they're worthy or not. If they're worth the effort, leave 99 to go get one, that one especially. We have other metrics for success too, right? If you have 100 sheep and you lose one, well, I mean, too bad. I mean, that's just the cost of doing business. One sheep out of 100, that's, that's an acceptable loss. I mean, it's only 1%. No big deal. For most of our lives, our whole lives are, are based on acceptable percentages of failure. Business. There's a certain amount of waste that is accepted. When they, when they produce things, they understand, they say, well, there's going to be a certain amount of these products that are not going to pass the Q&A and, and they'll get recycled. That's just part of business. We start every school year knowing that there will be a certain dropout rate. Not everyone will graduate. That's just, I mean, that's just the way it is. Marriages start out with a predictable rate of divorce. Not every, not every marriage will make it. Just, that's just the way it is, Right? We're happy when the unemployment rate is below 5%. We don't expect everyone to be able to keep a job. 5%, well, that's pretty good. Sad to say, not every newborn baby will live. But the overwhelming majority do. 
So that's good. You get the point. As, as far as we're concerned, losing one sheep out of a hundred is not so bad. You might even say it's a remarkably good percentage. 99%, that's an A. I mean, that's, that's definitely a passing grade. That's our nature. That's our nature. But with God, every sheep counts. Every sheep counts. Everyone counts to God. William Barclay tells a little story in his commentary that illustrates this. It's a little dated. It's, it's set in the 19th century, but it makes a good point. It says, a young doctor was backpacking across Europe, and he had traveled for several weeks, much of the way by foot. So much from, so that from his outward appearances, he looked like a bum. He hadn't shaved. His hair was long and matted. His clothes were dirty and worn. For some reason, he became seriously ill along the way. A couple of strangers found him lying half-conscious by the side of the road. They took him to a hospital. The doctors looked him over and shook their heads. One looked at the other and whispered in Latin, What a worthless bloke. We'd do, a, do him a favor to let him die. The young doctor laying on the table understood, understood every word. He looked up and replied also in Latin, Never call a man worthless for whom Christ has died. So often we give up too easily. When others fall through the cracks, we're, we're quick to write them off. Oh well, can't save them all. Oh well, what can you do? But that's not the attitude of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the good shepherd who goes after the one that is lost. And he keeps going until he finds it and he brings it back to the fold, even if it's hard. He cares for each and every one, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He doesn't want any to slip through. God wants to bring all sinners home to him. That includes you. That includes you. He loves you. You matter to him. You matter to him. Every last person matters to him. There are over 8 billion people on our planet. God created each one, and he knows all of us by name. He knows us so completely that he numbered the very hairs on the top of our heads. God wants all 8 billion to follow Jesus so they can enjoy the magnificence of eternal life. Eight billion people. Not eight billion minus one. Eight billion. He will go after that one till all his children are home. With God, nothing and no one is hopelessly lost. If you are the lost one, you can be sure that he is searching for you. 
If you are the one that is lost, know God is searching for you. Just say the word. He's waiting with open arms to scoop you up and to carry you home. If you're not, if you're not that lost sheep, but you're one of the faithful 99, don't be upset by his love for the lost one. Some people get upset like the prodigal son, upset by all the attention given to the unfaithful one that ran away. You can be assured that his love for you is not in any way diminished by his efforts and his desire to bring the lost one home. Don't feel like he is abandoning you to go look for the lost one. He leaves you in the care of others that can watch over and protect you. He has brought you into the safety of the fold. But he must go and rescue the one that is lost. The enemy is circling. The enemy is circling them, waiting to pick them apart. Everyone counts to God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10. In verse 5 it says, When the shepherd found the lost sheep, he lay it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The shepherd rescued the lost sheep and then he carries it home. It doesn't walk home by itself. He carries the lost one on his shoulders, on his back. He is the one that carries the burden, not the lost. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The burden was upon him. He bore the punishment. He paid the price. The lost are rescued and returned return home, carried by the shepherd's work, not their own. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9. It's a cause for celebration. The shepherd returns with a lost sheep and he calls his friends and his neighbors. They rejoice with him over the joy of finding the one that was lost. Jesus said, more joy over the one that was lost than the 99 that weren't. This is a picture of the joy in heaven over the sinner that comes to faith, the one that, that truly repents and accepts the good seed of the gospel. Now here in this parable, the, these other 99 are the self-righteous Pharisees. They don't think they need it. They don't need repentance. They're the fakes. 
They're the weeds. They're the bad fish. But all of heaven rejoices with each new soul added to the kingdom. It's a cause for celebration. How amazing to think that all of, he- all of heaven was rejoicing when I was saved. How amazing to think that all of heaven was rejoicing when I was saved. When you were saved, when you came to faith in Christ, all of heaven was rejoicing. How amazing to think of that. Rosemary came to Jesus. Amen! Hallelujah! That's what was happening in heaven. The obvious implication of finding of this parable is finding the lost sheep. But there's also a picture of returning home. Bringing the lost back to the fold. Back to the family. The family of God. We live in community with each other. So to talk about being lost is to really talk about being separated from each other. The sheep was lost because it was part of the flock to begin with. The very fact that it belonged to the flock led to the fact that when the shepherd counted heads, it was obvious that it was missing. Now we most often look at this parable as as just the lost in general. Those that are unsaved. But the implication is also that there are those that were part of the flock. And when the shepherd brought the fold in at night and he began to to take count, he noticed there is one missing. There is one missing. This week, as we had music camp, the leaders, we had different groups age groups for the kids, and the leaders, as they would go from place to place, what would they do? Count. Oh, one's missing. Where? Oh, there he is. Somebody go grab him, doggone him. He always wandered away, right? Right, Candace? Yeah. Always one. Like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? We notice when one is missing from the flock. A big part of this being lost has to do with our connection with each other. We're interrelated. So to talk about one who was lost is at the same time to to talk about the effect. The effect that it has on the rest of us when one is missing. We notice. We notice when they're gone. Many widows would say after they lose a spouse, it's not that I've lost him or her, but I'm lost without him or her. It's how we feel. It's how we should feel when there is somebody missing from the flock, from the body here. 
There's a correlation I've come to appreciate more and more. The more intimately we're connected to another person, the more we agonize when we're separated from them. But the less we're connected, the less we're affected. It's, why, it's one of the reasons why we do some of the things that we do to come together, to hang out, to cruise in. It's an opportunity for us to hang out, eat some hot dogs, eat some ice cream, chat about old cars and wheelbarrows and tractors and just, just be together. Just enjoy being together. To know each other more and more. Remember the pictures of missing children they used to put on milk cartons? Remember that? They don't use milk cartons much anymore, do they? But remember when you'd see the, those pictures of the missing or exploited children on there, and you'd, you'd look at that and you'd go, oh, poor kid. Oh, poor mom and dad. How sad. But I doubt it ever cause you to lose much sleep. Sure, you probably looked at it, oh, that's, that's so bad. But I doubt you lost sleep that night over it. But if it were your child, if it was your child on that milk carton, well, that's another story, isn't it? Altogether. You wouldn't sleep until they were home. I remember when I was younger, I was maybe, I don't know, 10, maybe younger, I don't know. We lost my sister. We lost my sister. Got a big family, my mom's side. And we were all, I don't even remember what we were doing. But there was a whole mess of us all together. We were kind of traveling somewhere. And we stopped at McDonald's to eat. We had this meal, and there was a mess of us. And a um, bunch of cousins, aunts and uncles and everything. And I remember, we, we left. And sometimes, you know, what happens, you know, when you have a lot of family together like that. Hey, can I ride with so-and-so? And hey, I want to go ride with so-and-so. And I'm going to, you know, go to so-and-so's house. And so we end up leaving McDonald's. And we, we go to my uncle's house. Everyone gathers up there, and pretty soon all the cars start piling in, and we go in the house, and, you know, we're just doing stuff. And, and then suddenly, my mom realizes Where's Sonia? Hey, where's your sister? Where's Sonia? Hey, have you seen Sonia? Hey. Betty, have you seen Sonia? Where is Sonia? Then pretty soon everyone's running around looking. Where's Sonia? Is she out in the barn? Is she out in the backyard? Where's she at? Is she on the swing set? Is she up in Shireen's room? Where's, where's Sonia? The anxiety and the fear. Where's Sonia? Harold, she was riding with you. She said she was riding with you. I didn't know she was ride, supposed to ride back with me. She was supposed to ride with you. 
Oh no. Where is she? She's at McDonald's. In the frantic drive back to McDonald's. Lord, let her be there. Let her be okay. Oh, please, Jesus, let her be there. And then the hugs and the tears. So we ran in and found her sitting there. Seven years old. Little girl sitting in a McDonald's. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. She was lost, but now she is found. This is the essence, the kingdom of God. We're family. We sing a hymn, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, joined by our common allegiance to Him. Because when we belong to the body of Christ, when one is missing, then there is something missing in us too. The kingdom of God isn't complete until everyone is safe. Till everyone is secure, till everyone is accounted for. That's why it's so important for us not to give up on those who have dropped out of church, fallen by the wayside, gone astray. It's not simply that they're lost, but a part of us is lost too. We live in community with each other when we don't live at all. When you think about it, there are lots of reasons why people drop out of church. Some get angry and upset and, and bent out of shape about things. Maybe they don't like a message that, that the pastor gave. You know, he, he got really close to their toes. Those are my toes. Where they don't want to submit to that part. I don't like that part that the preacher preaches about. Others get their feelings hurt over something that was said or done to them by somebody else. Sometimes it's because of something they've said or done to alienate themselves from others. Sometimes people drop out just because they get out of the habit. You know, you miss one Sunday and you're like, hmm. man, I need to get back into church. And then you miss two Sundays in a row and Three, eh. four, well, what are they going to think if I come back now? Five, six, eight, pretty soon you don't even think about it anymore. One commentator said sheep tend to nibble, nibble themselves lost. They nibble themselves lost. They graze from one tuft of grass, uh, one tuft of grass to another. All day long with their heads down. They look up, they, they don't know where they are or how they even got there. Certainly don't know how to find their way back. It's not that they're particularly stubborn or rebellious or completely stupid. It's, it's just simply their nature. Sheep stray, and when they do, they, they get lost. 
The good news is the good shepherd comes looking for them. He searches until he finds them. When he does, he brings them back to the fold. It's a model we need to follow in the life and the witness of this church. Of this church. Not to be content with those who show up on Sunday morning. But to be persistent about those who don't. Don't just look and say, oh, so-and-so is not here this morning. Or go, oh, hmm, so-and-so is not here again this morning. Huh. Wonder what they're doing. Wonder what was so important today. Call them. Go and visit them. Find out why they're not there. Find out why. Don't just let them wander away. The parable ends this way in verse 5 through 6. When he, the shepherd, has found it, the lost sheep, he carries it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. To be honest, that's not the way we'd often like that parable to end. We'd rather Jesus say, When he, the shepherd, has found it, the lost sheep, he carries it on his shoulders. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, well, it's about time this one came home. It's about time. I hope you have learned your lesson. You can come back this time, but don't you dare mess up again. Oftentimes, that's how we want him to behave. Because that's how we behave. Where have they been? What have you been doing? Well, it serves you right. Of course your life is a mess. What did you expect would happen? Huh. But that's not how the parable ends, is it? The way Jesus told the parable, the shepherd and all of his friends and neighbors rejoiced. They rejoiced. The parable of the lost sheep speaks to us best when we hear it in the context of the MIAs, the missing in action. Where are they? Those individuals, those families we know and love that, that we have for whatever reason become disconnected from. Just remember this, each one of them counts. Each one of them counts. With God, none is lost that aren't worth looking for. They're all worth looking for. It's more their family. And as long as they're missing, there's a part of us that is missing too. It doesn't really matter what they've done or how they've strayed. All that matters is that we go and we search and we reach them and we, we reconcile to them and we bring them home. That's the nature of the good shepherd. It ought to be the nature of a church that bears his name. The message for the lost sheep is Jesus will go to great lengths to bring us back to him when we wander. 
we lose our way and we get lost. Because he loves us with an agape love. An agape love. This is a love that, is in, that we're incapable of, in, of attaining. It's unconditional. It's unwarranted. It's all-encompassing. It's everlasting. God's agape love for us began before we were conceived in our mother's womb, and it will last all of eternity. The parable of the lost sheep reflects God's agape love for us. God loves you more than you can imagine. He loves you more than you can imagine. You are so important to God that if you leave him by choosing to live your life without him, he will follow you to the ends of the earth. He stays by your side, no matter whether you acknowledge him or not. There's nothing that you can do that will stop him from loving you. That is his amazing agape love. He loves you more than you can imagine. And you are welcome to enter his kingdom. That is why Jesus, the good shepherd, came to seek and to save the lost. The moment you choose to return to him, he will open his arms and celebrate your return. His greatest joy is having one of his lost return home. He wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. He never gives up on you. No matter how long you stray or what you've done, God has mercy on those who ask for forgiveness. His mercy endures forever. You are his child. All you have to do is come home to him. Are you in the fold? Are you in the fold this morning? Are you a part of the family of God? I pray that you are. He came to rescue you. The message to the church is understand that we all are like sheep and have gone astray. We all are dumb and, and directionless and defenseless. We should not judge those who, that, who deserve rescue and those who don't. We must remember that everyone, everyone matters to God. I am one. You are one. They are one. One that is or was lost. One that matters to God that Jesus came to seek to save. We are the family of God. He put us together. He put us together. When one is missing, we must go and search for them. We must help bring them back. Don't be content to just let them wander away. We should rejoice over every soul that is brought into the kingdom. It's the heart of the good shepherd. He came to find the lost sheep. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the word, for the words of Jesus, for your heart for us. And Jesus, that you came to seek and to save the woes, those that were lost. 
those that have wandered away, those that have refused to, to submit, refused to believe, that you have a love that is beyond our comprehension and you came. And you will follow us to the ends of the earth to bring us back. So Lord Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here that is lost, that has wandered away, that you would call out to them. That you would reach out to them and you would bring them back. If there's anyone that is missing here, part of our family that has, for one reason or another, not been here, that we would notice and we would reach out to them. That we would call them back. Call them back to the fold, back to the family. Jesus, we thank you that you love and care for us enough to come and die in our place, to come and search for us when we wander away. Pray that you would help us to have the same heart and the same attitude to seek those that are lost. Pray that you would help us to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us for the glory of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.